Today I'm going to do my best to keep to the notes, but I'll probably digress. So there's lots here in the notes that I invite you to, to look upon. And this might be, as your notes say, the most important thing that you hear in all of RCIA. And that is our subject this evening's prayer. It's not the most important thing in the entire church. most important the entire thing in the entire church is the Eucharist, okay? Jesus himself. Uh, you could say that any sacrament is more important objectively than prayer. But the funny thing is, if you don't pray, none of the rest is, ma- is really going to matter very much. And if you do pray, even if you do everything else badly, even if you understand half-heartedly, it will all fall into place. Can I give you, I'll give you several images for prayer here this evening, but here's one of my favorites. Imagine paddling a canoe. Who's ever paddled a canoe before? You go a little this way, a little that way, a little this way, a little that way. Um, If you could imagine the momentum of a canoe as being like your general path in life, Um, if you get off track, you ever dipped your pinky in the water when you're paddling a canoe and the entire canoe changes direction? If you get off track, prayer will send you right back on track. So prayer, it might, if you keep, get this right, most everything else will fall into place. And the purpose of prayer is to help you know what it means to be in love with Jesus Christ. The entire Catholic Church exists. All of our sacraments exist. All of our buildings exist. All of our hymns, everything that we do, the reason why we pay the electric bill. It's all so that people can fall into a deep head over heels love union with Jesus Christ. And quite simply, you can't do that if you don't pray. Okay, so let's try to talk about why. This class really is a little bit of information, but it's really more of an exhortation to live a daily prayer life. Okay, so um, what is prayer? Why do you pray? Well, most people misunderstand prayer. Somebody once asked Bill Gates, why don't you go to church on Sunday? And his answer was, well, because there's infinitely more profitable things I could do with my time. He's completely wrong, of course, but at least he's honest. His answer sheds a lot of light on why people don't pray. Why don't you pray? Effectively, people don't think it matters. Why don't I pray? Because nothing happens. Why don't I pray? Because I tried it and it didn't work. Why don't I pray? Because, you know, I, I can't tell it makes a difference. If you think of prayer the way most people do, you'll think of prayer as something you do to get something you want. Isn't that the way we were taught when we were children? Pray for it, and it's like God is the celestial Santa Claus who will deliver the goods. That is a pagan understanding of prayer. They've had that understanding of prayer since the days of the ancient Romans, ancient Greeks. You know how things used to be uh, in ancient history. If you were to go to, say, the temple of Aphrodite, goddess of love, and you were to offer the right cereal offerings, you know, and burn them in the right way and say the right words. Aphrodite, the goddess of love, was supposed to, in return, deliver the goods and give you whatever love you were seeking after. That's paganism. But a lot of people still pray that way. They think, you know, God, I said my prayers and what I asked for didn't happen. And that's a complete misunderstanding of who God is and of what we're doing. In Christianity, what we have is a relationship with God. Let's begin by understanding this. Prayer is a relationship, a love relationship with God. And because of that, the way you pray and the way you live go hand in hand. Prayer enriches your living 
and living enriches your prayer. If you pray well, you'll live better. And by that, I mean you'll live more charitably. If you want to ask if your prayer is going well, ask yourself after, say, a course of a year, am I more patient than I was last year? Am I more generous than I was last year? Am I gentler and less judgmental than I was last year? Sometimes it's like a year. You know, it's almost like watching a tree grow. You can't see the change day by day, but you should be able to see the change after a year. Okay? The question of whether your prayer is going well or not is whether your virtue is growing or not, because what ultimately is happening is that your friendship with God is growing deeper and deeper. And as a consequence, this is really important, the way you pray and the way you live are intertwined. You can't live a sinful life and expect to have deep prayer. Why? Because Jesus says, if you love me, keep... Can you finish this sentence for me, anybody? If you love me, what did Jesus say? Uh, keep, keep my commandments. It's almost like saying, if you love your car, read the owner's manual. You know, it's, it's not meant to cramp your style. It's meant to make you flourish. Just like if you follow the owner's manual in a car, and the car will purr like a little kitten. Right? Will your prayer life will make your spiritual, will make your, your gospel living, that is living your virtues, grow. And guess what happens when you go out there and you live a generous life? When you go back to pray, you pray even better. I heard it once phrased like this. Pray well and you'll pray better. Pray better and you'll pray more. Pray more and you'll pray always. Pray always and you might just become a saint. But unfortunately, it works in reverse. Pray badly, and guess what will happen to your gospel living, your ability to be patient, kind, generous? What will happen to it? It'll get worse, and you'll become colder. And then how will, how will you pray, better or worse? Yes. Worse. See, in all things in life, you're hardening towards one end or another, whether you like it or not. At this very moment, in everything that you're doing, you are either becoming a closer friend of God, and all of these virtues are becoming easier and more connatural, and your prayer is becoming easier and less burdensome, or the opposite's happening. You're becoming more selfish, hardened, less likely to pray, more likely to make excuses. Because what you're in right now, whether you like it or not, is a love relationship with God. And do you know that relationships are always alive? You know that, don't you? There's no such thing as a static relationship. Even a friend, maybe, that you only talk to once a year. You know, if you don't talk to them, your relationship will die. Um, and if you do, it'll grow. So it's like that with God. There's a relationship between prayer and life. Okay? That's, the most, the first, that, that's perhaps the first thing to understand. It's inseparable from the way you live. It's not a task that you add to your daily life. Uh, it's rather an expression of the state of your relationship with God and, and where you want it to go. So um, for that reason, this is something I think that's also important to address to modern audiences. There's no techniques to prayer. A lot of people talk about techniques. Forget about it, like they say in the Bronx, right? If somebody tells you, the way you pray is you get a, a rug and you light incense and you light a candle and you go into a corner. Don't get me wrong, having a good place to pray is helpful. Having a holy environment is helpful. But imagine, let me give you a parallel case with a different relationship. Imagine if somebody says, you know, if you want to get along better with your best friend, what you want to do is you want to light a candle, go into a corner. Techniques don't make relationships grow. Love makes relationships grow. So you'll hear people say things like, you know, what you want to do is you have breathing exercises. Or, no, 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 and no. If you want to pray well, get out there and 
starting you know, as soon as this class is over, uh, take whatever gospel truths you know and live them as generously as possible until you fall asleep and wake up the morning, next morning and start doing the same thing. Your prayer is going to deepen according to your generosity in living. It, because it's a relationship. The beginning of any real prayer is a conversion of your heart from ego to God. Anything else is a sham. You're saying one thing to God with your words and another thing to God with your deeds. And we've all seen that, haven't we? We all know the story of the hypocritical, stereotypical example of the hypocritical person who's on their knees in prayer, but you know, then goes and not, doesn't live that way. You ever heard the, there's this little quip, I see if I can remember it. It says, uh, Mr. Jones, he went to church, he never missed a Sunday, but Mr. Jones, he went to hell for what he did on Monday. <laughs> okay, so there's a relationship between the way you pray and the way you live. So let's ask this question, why pray? Why pray? It's a big question. Have you ever stopped to consider uh, that you're never satisfied in life, that you're never at rest, that you're never at peace, uh, that you always want more? There was a song a bunch of years ago by Simon and Garfunkel, and it said, I'm empty and I'm aching and I don't know why. And the reason why those words are in the song is because the listeners of the song, namely the whole audience, the whole world, knows what that feels like. I'm empty and I'm aching and I don't know why. Have you ever wondered why you're always agitated, why you're always depressed, why you've always got the heebie-jeebies and the whim-whams, why you're always running from something, why you're always complaining about something? I mean, where would stand-up comedians be if not for complaining, right? Why? I mean, animals aren't like this. Uh, dogs seem to be perfectly happy being dogs, and cats are perfectly happy being cats, and turnips are perfectly content being turnips. Why are we like this? You ever heard it said, uh, hey, man up. People say that to guys. They don't say woman up to girls. But they'll say, to them, hey, man up, man up. What do they mean by that? They mean become who you are. You're not, be, you're not who you are. You're deficient. You would never go to a dog and say, hey, what's the matter with you? Dog up. Right? Be a dog for goodness sakes. Because they are fully themselves. There's something about you that's not fully itself. There's a deep, empty ache in your soul and it stirs and it churns like a volcano and it waits to erupt and you can't quite explain it. It drives your actions, it drives your plans, it fuels your dreams, it drives your desires. A desire for fullness, for infinity, for nothing that this world ever satisfies. Sound familiar? And you know what's interesting about this? The more successful people get in life, the deeper they feel this. I think, did I tell you about the statistics for suicide in a previous class? I thought that fascinating. Just I'll repeat just in case... You know, someone joined the class late. Um, the wealthier someone is, the more likely they are to commit suicide. And part of the reason for that is because when you're like the rest of us and you're struggling and you're making your way through life, you still have goals that you're working for that give you a sense of purpose. But once you've arrived at the top of the stairs and you've got the cars and you've got the, the houses and you've got the relationships and everyone's chanting your name and you're still not happy, you don't know where else to turn. You've already achieved everything that people are supposed to achieve and are supposed to make them happy. They're empty and they're aching and they don't know why. Well, the reason for this is because you're made for something more than this world has to offer. And people nervously engulf themselves in activities and amusements, etc. Like a narcotic to dull the pain. Always a new adventure, always a new extreme. Every year the amusement parks build the roller coasters even taller, as if last year's Roller coaster wasn't scary enough. Always something more. What's the matter with us? 
um, Super Bowl rings. I've ever seen the Super Bowl rings? I'm a sports fan, so, you know, back in the 60s, Super Bowl ring was like, it was a ring. You know, I mean, today it's practically a golden platter with a ring loop on it that's bigger and bigger. Why more? Why, what was wrong with last year's design? Why more? Because you're made for something infinite. You're always seeking more. You're the only being in the visible creation that's not fulfilled without becoming more than you are. Thoughtful people realize this. And when they're touched by God's grace, they begin to seek God. And that's when prayer begins. Why pray? Because you are existentially unhappy until you discover God. And prayer is your communication with the infinite, the beginning of your real fulfillment. Okay, so uh, a few little notes here of what leads people to prayer. There's all kinds of things that lead people to prayer. I've got three, um, three of my favorites, jadedness, weariness with mediocrity, and a sudden grace. Reasons people will begin to pray. Uh, have you ever felt disgusted by a serious sin? You don't have to answer. But there are people who will do things and they'll, and, and they'll uh, feel just sick to their belly that, that they did that. I remember I was in a fraternity back in college, believe it or not. And once upon a time where there was this big party and everyone was half drunk, etc., just like fraternity parties are in, in fraternity basements. And, once, and this one brother in the fraternity got up, slammed down his beer, and he said, I've had it with all of you. You all are full of sin and you're all going to hell. And he quit the fraternity. And of course, we all laughed at him, right? Because we'd all had too many beers. But he was a jadedness. He, he, something clicked inside of him. He's like, this is wrong. I can't, this is wrong. I shouldn't be living this way. And people will do this. Arrogance will do this to people. Lust especially will do this to people. Uh, people will feel disgusted with themselves for using and abusing other people for their own gratification. Substance abuse will do this to people. Um, and this can become a, a fertile ground in which God, God can grow. It's a funny thing about fertilizer. It usually stinks, doesn't it? But boy, do, boy, do beautiful things grow in what stinks. Isn't God clever? Weariness with mediocrity. Now, this, I think, might strike most of us to our hearts. Most of us are already trying to do the right thing. Most of us are already trying to live on the up and up, or you wouldn't be here. But let's face it. Uh, we don't exactly have sharp spiritual edges, do we? None of us would describe ourselves as a saint. We love God, but feebly. Don't all answer at once, but I know the answer is yes. You attend Mass, but you know, ho-hum. You pray on your own, but you know, it's rote. Um, you feel like a soldier slodging through the mud with no end in sight. You don't make much of an effort to avoid venial sin. You figure this isn't so bad and you commit the sin anyway. Uh, maybe you commit mortal sins. And you say to yourself, you're sorry, but when the same circumstance arises, you do the same damned thing again. And something clicks within someone who's living a life of mediocrity. This something says, life is short and there's got to be more. Sometimes this is triggered by the death of a loved one. A loved one dies, you realize just how fragile life is how poor and mediocre your own personal virtue, growth, character is. And you say, God, come and help me. And it leads you to pray. And then there's a sudden grace. Occasionally, you know, like a St. Paul, you get knocked off your horse. It happened to St. Augustine. It happened to St. Francis of Assisi. How many of you guys know the story of St. Francis of Assisi? I won't tell you the whole story, but real briefly, Francis of Assisi was the life of the party. 
Francis of Assisi, the guy who wore the brown robe and talked to the animals. Life of the party. He was the most popular guy in his town. Every girl wanted to be with St. Francis and every guy wished that he was St. Francis. He was that guy. Um, and he had a sudden grace. Uh, I think his father was a wealthy cloth merchant named Arthur. And in the middle of the town square, he stood up in front of all of his friends and everyone who loved him and partied with him and the you know, boon companions. And he said, I used to call Arthur my father, but now I say, our father who art in heaven. And he walked away. Sudden grace. It's rare, but it happens. Okay. So people pray. Um, and why pray? There's one more reason. We're good to other people precisely in the degree to which we are already friends with God. The more immersed you are in God, the better you're going to be for others. Holy people make a greater impact. I'll come up to this later, but let me just give you a little, little tiny bit of it now. Once upon a time, I was in a real bad way. I went to talk to a religious sister. Who's ever heard of Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity? Who's ever heard of Mother Teresa? Okay, good. Her, her religious sisters are called the Missionaries of Charity. And I went to talk to one of them. Long story is how I got there. And she could only talk to me for 10 minutes. 10 minutes, because she had to catch a flight. 10 minutes was her, with her was worth more than a week's retreat. 10 minutes. It was just the way she was. It was the way she talked. Um, I once met a girl who was dying of uh, cancer. Radiant smile. She was holy, a very holy woman. Nobody could be this joyful and also be dying of cancer. And she only talked to me for maybe five minutes. But it glowed up my whole week. That's what you're like when you're a friend of God. You don't even know you're doing it. But that's what you're like. Your effectiveness with other people deepens. Every year we hear First Communion uh, kids' confessions. The little first, and by the way, y'all should be going to confession before. If you're not being baptized, you should get to confession before you get your sacraments. That's just an advertisement. But First Communion kids, they'll come in, they'll make their confessions. And lo and behold, their parents will come in and make confessions. And I'll look at them and I'll say, you're the biggest second grader I've ever seen. And I'll say, what are you doing here? And they'll say, well, I, need to, I yeah, obviously need to go to confession. Why? Well, because I'm looking at my kid and I'm realizing my kid takes after me. And I've got to straighten, put my, get my act together. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. Why do you pray? Because people are depending on you. That's why. Do you have a wife? Do you have kids? Do you have friends? Hopefully the answer is yes to at least one of those. Uh, they need you. You know, your priest, he, has, he buries a terrible responsibility. The whole parish, whether he likes it or not, needs him to be a friend of God and to help point out the way. Why do you pray? Because people are counting on you. You owe it to them. Okay? It's almost like prayer is to your soul what proper maintenance of your health is to your life. You know, you're not going to smoke five packs of cigarettes a day and eat a pack of Oreos before breakfast every day because people are counting on you to, you know, not die of diabetes next week or, or lung cancer. So why do you pray? Because people are counting on you. And sometimes that's the most potent motive of all. Okay. So here's the big question. What is prayer? And it's really very simple. Prayer is the raising of your mind and heart to God. That's what prayer is. It's so simple. All kinds of atheists who don't think they've ever prayed have prayed many, many times. Anytime students hear pop quiz today in a class, instinctively they pray. Um, anytime uh, someone's scared to death, maybe they're driving along on the icy roads, maybe they're walking through a bad part of town, and they see some, I don't know, shifty-looking character walking alone, looking at them, staring at them, and walking right in their direction. They're, they're my, and by mind... I mean your attention. By heart, I mean your will. Instinctively goes up to God. That's prayer. Okay? 
It's not necessarily rattling off our fathers and Hail Marys. In fact, you can rattle off. I trained my computer to say a Hail Mary. It's not prayer. Okay? If your mind isn't engaged and your heart isn't engaged, you're not praying. If your mind is engaged and your heart's engaged, you are praying. Whether you're saying anything or not. And we'll get to that in just a second. Okay? Um, but uh, it's, it's who you are at the depths of your soul. And I've already talked to you about what a soul is. Touching who God is and being transformed. You know how it is when you're cold and perhaps someone hands you a little heat pack. You ever had one of those little heat packs? And the heat goes right out from the heat pack into you. Well, when you pray, what God is goes like right into you. It's like straight to your soul. It's like intravenous, except it's straight to your soul. And you're transformed. It's not contrived. Um, it's the most natural thing in the world when it's done properly. And if it's practiced faithfully, it grows. It gets deeper and more effortless. When you go to talk to somebody you don't know, perhaps you're an introvert like me, and, and you know you, you, you clam up and it's, it's hard for you to meet new people. It's work. Um, good as these people are, it's, it's effort. And someone tells you that you have to go have a one-on-one -on -one lunch with someone you never met before. You're like, oh, great, this is going to be a big effort, right? It's hard. But suppose somebody tells you you're going to have lunch with a friend that you haven't seen for a year. Oh, you're so happy. It's the exact same thing as just talking and listening. It's the exact same thing as sitting at a table and eating lunch. What's the difference? Depth of the relationship. So if you don't know how to pray, uh, and if you don't have much of a relationship with God, it's labor. Uh, God, it's me again. Uh, Hallowed be thy name, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, what am I supposed to say next, right? But if you do, it's, it's the most effortless thing in the world. It's just, it's just natural as falling in love, okay? So ultimately, what is prayer? It's this deep transformed union that you, that you grow and grow. And please don't say my work is my prayer. Please don't do that. People say that all the time. I don't take time for prayer because my work is my prayer. No, it's not. No, it's not. If you don't actually take time to pray, your work is definitely not your prayer. Consider, um, if you want to pray, the first thing that's needed is time. And that's why people don't pray. And that's where it has to begin. We'll talk about time in just a moment, but if you don't take time, to, if you don't take time, does a relationship ever grow? No. If you want a relationship to grow, give it carefree time lessness, right? You got any relationship in your life, give it time and it'll grow. Um, you know, it, back in the day when people actually talked on cell phones instead of texting each other, uh, you, you'd hear the stereotype of a teenager who'd be forever on the phone talking to their sweetheart. And when they hang up the phone, the parent asks, what'd you talk about? And what do they answer? Nothing, right? Why? And why would they, they just were together? It was effortless. Because he gave it time. That's what happens when you give. If you don't give God time in prayer, you're not going to pray well. Now, if you do give God time in prayer, then your work really will be your prayer, but only because you're first praying. Can you imagine a couple that never talks to each other and then they like stand in line in the grocery store together and they say, well, you know, uh, this, is, this is our relationship. No, you, you don't have a relationship if, if you're not spending time together. It's the same with God. So set aside time. Be yourself. And we'll talk about how to do it either right now, okay? We're going to talk about how to pray and what to do. And all quotes from here on in come from St. Teresa of Avila, who's really probably the church's primary author and highest authority when it comes to describing what prayer is. So let's talk about kinds of prayer. And to give you an idea of kinds of prayer, we're going to use an image from St. Teresa of Avila. All right? And here's her image. She says, imagine you want to water a garden. 
There's lots of ways you can water it. You can drop a bucket in a well. Remember, she lived in the 1500s. Pull up the water from the well and water the garden and go back to the well. You can water it that way. Uh, you could, if you're a little bit wiser, you could dig an aqueduct off of the river and, and channel the water off the flowing river into your garden. You can water it that way. What's the best way to water your garden? To let it rain. That's the best way to water your garden. Now, she uses those images for different kinds of prayer. And effectively, there's two big kinds of prayer. And those two kinds are vocal and mental. And there's two subdivisions of mental prayer, and that is meditative and contemplative. Let's talk about them all, okay? First is vocal prayer. Now, it's real simple to understand. Vocal prayer is anything involving words. So is going to mass vocal prayer? Yes. Is, going, is saying a rosary vocal prayer? Is saying an Our Father vocal prayer? Yes. Anything involving words. Strictly speaking, it is the lowest kind of prayer. Um, uh, I might as well jump ahead of myself right now, because and, 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 I was going to try to keep this in order, but I really can't. Strictly speaking, it is the, but the more deep your relationship with God is, the deeper your words become. I know a lot of people that rattle off the Our Father like they're firing a machine gun. Our Father, our heaven, I'll be that. It's just like shooting a machine gun. And they don't even know what they're saying. But let's stop and take about the Our Father one word at a time. It could take us an hour. Suppose I just start with the first word, hour. And I look around the room and I look at all of you. I just, I just said, Our Father, and you've all looked at me. Yeah, Our Father, that's right. Our Father. What have we, what have we just acknowledged about one another? We're brothers and sisters, aren't we? Mm-hmm. There's a spiritual relationship that runs deeper than blood. Mm-hmm. I don't have to pray anything more than the first word. And I've, I've completely revolutionized all of my relationships with, with, with everyone I know, and even with my enemies. How about the next word, Father? Most people don't get past the meaning of that word. Most people think that God is like Star Wars. He's the force. He's like this vague, mysterious thing out there somewhere that maybe hears you, but probably doesn't. And definitely doesn't know your name. But then you realize that God, and then you see like a newborn baby and cradled in the arms of a, of a father, and you realize, oh, now I get it. That's what God is for us. You just pray about that. Think about that. Now, when you really are a friend of God, you can take any prayer, take it one word at a time, and be enraptured. Case in point, um, St. Philip Neri, a priest of the 1600s had an agreement with his altar server when he was saying mass. He said, if I fall into rapturous prayer, just put out the candles and come back in two hours, I'll probably be ready to start again. Because literally he'd be saying mass, he just, he just couldn't go on. He was so enraptured in prayer. And he couldn't say mass publicly as a consequence. It was a real problem. But it was a great thing in the sense that his relationship with God was so deep. So vocal prayer, it is the lowest kind, strictly speaking. But just like any other words that you say to somebody, the deeper your relationship, the more meaningful the words are. I mean, if you're, I don't know, newlyweds or something like that, you, you could probably have more meaning in the word good morning uh, than most people would have in an entire day of talking to their business associates, correct? Of course. Because you, the love is deeper. So please don't misunderstand. Vocal prayer is always necessary, just like words are always necessary. I don't care how deep your relationship is with any other human being in the world, you're always going to have to talk to them, right? So that such is vocal prayer. But let me ask you a question. If I were to ask you which of these two examples is the deeper form of communication, what would your answer be? Question, example number one. Uh, two people talk to each other, uh, standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, they talk to each other how beautiful the view is. Option number two. 
Two people standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon looking at the view and they shoot each other a look and they know exactly what the other's thinking. Which of the two is deeper? The wordless one, right? And everyone all know it. That's what I mean when I say mental prayer is deeper than vocal prayer, okay? So let's talk about, we know about vocal, well, actually let me, uh, um, no, we'll get, back to, we'll get back to vocal prayer later and how to. Mental prayer, let's talk about the two kinds. Meditative and contemplative. I've already given you an example of meditative prayer. I just talked about two words of the Our Father. You can do that with any prayer at all. And this is called Lexio Divina, and it's in your notes, right? How do you pray? What do I do? This is the classic question. Let me give you the answer. The answer is you do what's called Lexio Divina. Now, don't be intimidated by the words. It's really very simple. You take, ideally, you take a passage of scripture that you love. It could be the writings of a saint, but let's just stick with scripture for now. And please don't pick scripture that you don't know. Pick something you already love. Sit down with it and read it and think about it and talk to God about it. I'll give you an example. Psalm 34. One of my favorite examples. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise always on my lips. In the Lord, my soul shall make its boast. Uh, the faithful will hear me and be glad. And you read that and, and you go for it. You take it slowly. I will bless the Lord at all times. Just stop. At all times? Even when I'm stuck in traffic? Even when I just got sentenced a subpoena to show up in court? Will I really bless the Lord at all times? The other day I got called to the hospital. And as soon as I got back from the hospital and I was tired and I was ready to, I was ready, I had to do the evening mass. Guess what happened the moment I got pulled into the driveway of the house? I got called back to the hospital. And I remembered Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. And you pray about that and you say, Lord, I didn't do so well today, but really help me to do better tomorrow. That's Lexio Divina. Make sense? And when you get bored and you get distracted, you go back to the text. Um, uh, um, look to the Lord, another line, look to the Lord and be radiant with joy. That's what it says. Now, how do you pray that? How do you Lexio Divina that line? Well, you say, I'm not exactly radiant with joy, am I? No, I'm not. Maybe I'm not looking to the Lord. Maybe I'm looking to the evening news too much. Maybe I'm looking at Facebook too much. Maybe I'm looking at Twitter too much. Maybe I'm listening to my enemies and my critics and giving them a free rent inside my head too much. Maybe I'm not looking, maybe if I look to the Lord more, I'd be more radiant with joy. Lord, Lord, help me with that. That's Lexio Divina. Make sense? That's how you pray. All right? Now that's meditative prayer. And that's what you do. As you get closer to God, it becomes easier and easier. And it leads naturally into the second kind of prayer, of mental prayer, which is called contemplative prayer. Now, just hear me out. Contemplative prayer is not as lofty and exclusive as it sounds. It's really very simple. It goes like this. You go to pray, and you're doing mental prayer. Let's just say it's Lexio, just like I was saying. And instead of thinking about images, like you're thinking like I gave you images and ideas, you just kind of realize that you're in God's presence and there suddenly aren't any words anymore, but you know you're in God's presence, and you just relish that presence for just a moment without saying anything. What do we call that? Contemplative prayer. That's what it's called. Definition of contemplative prayer, very simple. It's mental prayer in which there are no words, no images, no concepts, just a loving awareness that God is there. That's what contemplative prayer is. Now, my advice to you, because I can't give you more, I'd love to be here for two hours and tell you all about this, but I've got to hurry along. Extend contemplative prayer as long as you possibly can. It's by far the best, most effective way you can possibly pray. The most effective way 
you can possibly pray. You talk about transformation going on in the depths of your soul. That's when it really happens. Don't force yourself to go back to your book. Don't force yourself to go back to your words. Just relish God's presence till it fades away, and it will. Sometimes it only lasts for 30 seconds. Sometimes it lasts for a minute. Sometimes it lasts for five seconds. You can't force it. It Have you noticed this before? If you know what I'm talking about, you know you can't churn it up on your own. It's a gift. It's received. It's not produced. Okay. I hope this makes sense to you, and it's somewhat familiar. But when you receive it, thank God for it. Let it happen. It's really deeply transformative. That's what changes people. Okay. So do we know how to pray? Yes, we do. We know how to do meditative prayer. Um, and we know how to let that go into contemplative prayer when it, when, it, when it goes in and to let God just give us as much as he wants to give us. Okay? Um, I think I've already told you about the effects of prayer, but what I want to talk about in, 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 with, well, you can look at the effects of prayer here in your notes on your own time, but there are some questions, I think some practical questions that need to be answered about prayer. Um, and we only got just a few more minutes here. Uh, when, how long, what about distractions? Let's talk about these things. When should I pray? Well, let's talk about this first and foremost. You need to pray every day. Every day. Do you need to breathe every day? Yes. Do you need to eat and sleep every day? Yes. Do you need to brush your teeth every day? I hope the answer is yes. But you need to pray every day. Why? Because there's one relationship you can't live without. The goose that lays the golden egg, so to speak. The electrical socket plugged into the power for the, that gives power and strength and vitality to the rest of your life is prayer. Don't go a single day unless you're vomiting with illness and you don't know what planet you're on. Don't go a single day without prayer. Vacations? Yes. Weekends? Yes. Uh, busy days? Twice as much yes. Don't go a day without prayer, ever. That's my first and foremost recommend, not recommendation. I'm giving it as a sine qua non. If you don't do that, you're going to die. Forget it. You're going to spiritually die. So do it. If you, now, when do you do it? Let's start with that question. Answer, whenever you know you can. And it really helps you if it's at the same time every day. God doesn't care what time of day you pray, okay? But it does matter to you. If you, develop, if you know anything about developing habits, routine helps. So if you can only pray five minutes a day, pray five minutes a day. But I'm going to shock you, perhaps, now in telling you that I don't think there's a single person alive so busy they cannot pray at least 30 minutes a day. I really don't. You'd be amazed how much time you waste with everything else. It might be a movie, it might be television, it might be YouTubing. You know, people, it's amazing how much people click and watch things. You know, next thing you're, you know, you're looking up the, 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 the history of disco or something like that. Um, and you're like, how did, I, how did I get here? You've got 30 minutes if you're a little bit disciplined. But if you, honestly, be honest with yourself. If you can't give more than 10 dedicated minutes a day to prayer, give it. And my hard, hardened advice to you, based on all these years of being a priest and trying to help people do this, and doing it myself, of course, is that it really helps you if you'll do it at the same time every day. And that's why, amigos, people pray in the morning. Why do people wake up early to pray in the morning? Why is it that people will hear of like spiritual giants who get in their prayer time before they get in their breakfast? Why? Because nobody else is going to wake up and bother you. Okay? For the most part, unless you've got newborns or something like that. Most people aren't going to wake up and bother you, and that's why people tend to pray in the morning. But, you know, if you're living some kind of life in which you can do it another time and, there's, and there's, no one's going to interrupt you, 
um, then that's when you do it. How long? Well, it depends on your life situations. Um, but this is my guiding principle. Better to do too little and be faithful to it than to do too much and to have to lop it off and cut back. Nothing crushes your spirit more than launching off onto something and quitting. You'd be amazed how many people set off to learn a foreign language and quit in two weeks, right? Once they have to start conjugating verbs. Um, do it at whatever pace you know you can continue because quite literally your spiritual life depends on it. But I recommend, I recommend hearing me and, and at least considering that you do have at least 30 minutes a day for it, okay? But consider this as well. How long does it take you to get anywhere in a conversation with somebody? Can you get anywhere in five minutes? I don't really think you can. I think you need at least 15 minutes to have a decent dialogue with somebody else. I think you should aim for trying to make 15 uninterrupted minutes of prayer your, daily, your first step. I think you should try for that. But if you can only say 10, then do 10. All right? If you only do five, then do, do five. But you have to get somewhere in prayer, and you can't do it quickly. It's a relationship. It's a conversation, for goodness sakes. Okay? Um, now, distractions. Everyone gets upset about distractions. Let me set your mind at ease. As long as you don't freely will your distractions, your distractions don't matter. Did you hear me correctly? Yes, you did. Teresa Avila, who's our church's expert on this, says the distractions are to your prayer what temptations are to your moral living. Are you ever going to be without temptations? Never. Because you're scarred by original sin, by a lifetime of your own sins. And as a consequence, you're never, ever going to be without little distractions. They happen all the time. Please don't beat yourself up. In fact, you're wisest if you gently ignore them and just go back to prayer. Is anything lost? Answer, no, unless you freely will your distraction. So if you get distracted about the upcoming big game and then you start actively thinking about the upcoming big game, is your, is your distraction hurting your prayer? Yes, it is. But if your mind goes off with whatever it might be and you don't choose it, you don't want it, Classic example, um, screaming baby in church. Babies cry, that's what babies do. Is it, a, is it going to hurt your prayer that the baby's crying? You're a fool if you say yes. In fact, you could say the only way it's going to hurt your prayer is if all you focus on is the baby. Right? <laughs> Quiet little baby. Now, why don't you turn and focus on God instead? Distractions don't hurt your prayer unless you... Choose them because prayer is all about your mind and your heart or your attention and your free will. That's what prayer is, okay? So please, um, everyone thinks, unless I'm some kind of contemplative monk you know, in the third celestial heaven uh, levitating six inches off my seat, I'm not praying well. No, okay? Now, conditions for growing in prayer. I, this is a summary of everything that I've been trying to say. Don't seek a method, seek to do God's will. You want to grow well in prayer, try to do God's will in his, in his life as he's given it to you. The best way to grow in prayer is to try to ask, what does God ask of me right now? And then to do that as well as you can. And then when it comes time to go back to prayer, you'll pray better. Again, maybe you'll only see the difference after a year. But why do God's will to pray better? Because prayer and what you do are an intertwined relationship. Live well and you'll pray better. Pray better and you'll live better, Right? Hope that made sense. That's why you want to strive. To, don't worry about techniques. Don't worry about methods. Strive to be faithful to God's will, his commandments, the gospel. When you sin, go to confession. Um, there's no growing in prayer unless you're serious about you know, living the gospel generously, trying to give your whole heart to God. 
Another important thing about growing in prayer, it doesn't depend on your immediate life circumstances. And this is hard for people to believe. But I know so many people who think, if only I was out of this toxic relationship, then I'd pray better. If only I had less of a commute, then I'd pray better. If only I didn't have this overbearing landlord, then I'd pray better. If only I didn't have paper-thin walls and I could hear everyone in the apartment buildings around me, then no. Hard no. Prayer does not depend on anything that is outside of God's will and your will. Okay? So please, don't think some arbitrary life circumstance is going to somehow change your prayer. It won't. Your good will will change your prayer. God already wants the, you to pray better more than you do. And as soon as you cooperate, you know, he comes rushing right at you like, like, like a lover who's been trying to woo you for decades. Um, and progress is not measured in, in, in years, but in readiness and generosity with God. There's one group of people above all else who I've discovered are the quickest to grow spiritually and they are the terminally ill. As soon as someone realizes that they're checking out in six months, suddenly they realize as clear as glass uh, what matters and what doesn't and what never did. And they grow in prayer by leaps and bounds. And that's why very often you get terminally ill people. You know, they're, they're pretty darn impressive. They're going to die and they're still cheerful. It's, it's the most fertile ground of all for growing in prayer. You can grow, get, grow more in a half a year than somebody else can in many years. But live the gospel generously. Go generously beyond what's required. When you're in love, you never do the minimum, do you? You do all that you can. You, you really just give lavishly. Um, and that's what happens to your prayer, too, when you give lavishly and un- as best you can. You know, we're all made out of spiritual peanut brittle. We all break easily. But this is what I mean to say. Now, understand, you can go backwards in prayer. Prayer is not something that's on, lived on a ratchet. You can slide out of love just as well as you can slide into love, can't you? Can't you fall out of love with someone? Yes, you can. Um, it's very, very easy for someone to have a warm, effervescent, loving, vibrant relationship at one point in their marriage, and several years later to be living an armed truce, you know, in another point in their marriage. Why? Because they can fall out of love. Can you fall out of love with God? Yes, you can. You can give up on being generous, you can give up on being, and you can finally find that you just fall out of love with God. Now, Teresa says, this is preceded by a thousand inner warnings that God tries to warn you and says, watch out, you're falling out of love with me. Pricks of conscience, small omissions, uh, excess worldliness, you know, etc. God will try to say, stop it, stop it. And now the last and perhaps most important thing um, is there actually is one and one thing only that will make you grow towards God faster than prayer, and that is acts of charity. So listen, if you're praying, and let's just give an easy example. Uh, the doorbell rings, and there's a friend in need, and Whatever it might be, maybe they just need a stick of butter. Um, do you lose anything by interrupting your prayer to help your friend in need? Not only do you not lose anything, but it's more effective than if you'd stayed praying. And that's not me speaking, that's Teresa of Avila. She's the expert in this. If God ever calls you to charity that interrupts your prayer, thank your lucky stars, it's actually more effective than if you'd continue praying. It's the one and, one and only one exception by which you can just drop your prayer and do something else. Okay. Um, most importantly of all, Teresa says, is determination. Read that little quote from her. Um, effectively, she says, you're going to be determined to continue growing in prayer 
even if the very world should dissolve around you. Now, the last two pages are the last two weeks' bullets and columns. And the reason why I printed these was simply because, well, I write a bullet and column every week for the, for the bulletin, but this one was unusual. Um, I got a lot of people telling me, wow, that was helpful. And I was like, okay, thanks for letting me know. And that's why I printed them. If, they, if it helped a lot of people to the point where people really spoke up and said, that really helped me, I thought I'd print them up and give them to you too. So um, kind of it's like a summary statement of everything that I've said about prayer. But the most important thing to, to do is live the gospel generously. Be as, 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 as good as you possibly can be. Pray daily and make it a commitment. Um, and resolve that you're never, ever going to quit. Ever. And your relationship with God will grow. And that's what I have to say about prayer.